Welcome to the Boyd Meets World podcast. Today's guest is Anders Jorstad, who is the newest member of the Lynchburg Hillcats broadcast team calling minor league baseball in Virginia. Anders became a baseball junkie as a kid growing up in Kirkland and developed a laser focus towards becoming a baseball broadcaster someday. That led him to last month's baseball winter meetings in Vegas, and his story of pursuing a gig in broadcasting was documented in The Athletic and read by me. I had the pleasure of talking to him about his grind to land a job calling baseball games. Enjoy it. All right, I'm here with Anders Jorstad. First of all, uh, congrats on the new gig with the Lynchburg Hillcats. That's pretty awesome, man. Thanks, man. I'm really excited about it. Was that one of the teams that you interviewed with when you were in Vegas for the winter meetings? Yeah, that was, um, oh, that wasn't actually talked about in the article because the article actually um, didn't go into Wednesday. I talked to a team Wednesday and they were the team I talked to then. But, um, but yeah, they were one of a few teams that I talked to then. Gotcha. So explain your role because it's minor league baseball. So I should say explain your roles that you'll have uh, with, uh, with the Hillcats. Yeah, so how it works in minor league baseball, well, it, it kind of depends on the team. Um, there's some teams that only have one broadcaster, and that broadcaster often does everything. So they'll do the broadcast on the radio, they'll do the media relations stuff, they'll often do social media, um, they'll kind of run those accounts and you know generate media um, in terms of like game notes, all that good stuff. But there's some teams that have two broadcasters, um, and when that happens, in the industry we talk about guys as being a number one or a number two. The number one is like the head broadcaster, usually the person who's been there for a long time. You know, they have, they've had more experience. They often carry more of a load in the day-to-day operations. They do more of the stuff on the radio. So the number one is kind of like the manager, usually of media relations. They might have a, a title that's director of media relations or um, director of broadcasting, something like that. The number two is the assistant. And they basically do, they do play by play as well. They get to do usually three to four innings a game. It really depends. Um, they don't often travel on the road as much as the number one does, but they'll also help out with game notes, um, press releases, social media, all that good stuff. So those two people are kind of like a two-headed monster when it comes to the media relations department in most cases. And I say that because there's some organizations that have very large media relations departments, and they have people that are kind of specialized in doing those things. Um, and so the broadcasters are really more broadcast-related, and they don't do social media, for example. Mm-hmm. But Hillcats, I'm going to be the number two. Um, so I'll be their assistant uh, alongside Max Gunn, who's been there. He was there last year. Um, and this will be, I believe, his fourth season of minor league baseball. Gotcha. So let's rewind the clock a little bit uh, to what got you started on this and down this path. Is So you grew up in Kirkland. And as the athletic article describes, that there was it was the 2009 Mariners uh, that kind of uh, got you hooked on baseball. What about that, uh, from my vantage point, pretty unremarkable season hooked you? <laughs> well, okay, so if I'm being 100% honest, and this is like kind of an exclusive, I suppose, because I haven't told this story to very many people in all honesty, because it's kind of a dorky story, but I was a huge video game nerd back in the day. You know, when I was in middle school, um, I was big into video games. I would play um, Wii all the time. I was a big Wii guy. So Nintendo, we're talking Mario, we're talking Zelda, we're talking... Fire Emblem, you, you name it, you know? Yeah, and I, was a, I was a big Twilight Princess guy my, my, myself. There you go. Well, you're better than me because I can never beat those games. But <laughs> Yeah, give it time. Um, yeah, I got, I got Super Mario Sluggers for the Wii. Um, 
And I got to a point where, like, I started creating my own leagues because I was kind of frustrated and didn't keep statistics in the game. Um, I'm like, oh, well, if I wanted to, like, play against each other, like, play these two teams against each other, I can't keep statistics. Um, it's weird how, like, I became interested in that. But from that point, I started making these leagues, and I kind of made them on paper using, like, all my me characters, you know, um, like, all my friends and family and all that. I put them all on teams, like, oh, you're on Yoshi's team, you're on Mario's team, whatever. <laughs> Then eventually I grabbed, I grabbed a copy of MLB Power Pros 2008, which is like this little TV game where all the, the real life baseball players, but they're all like little anime characters, mm-hmm. uh, from the 2008 season. And I played that and that was kind of like my foray into the baseball world because at the same season my parents bought those season, that 16 game plan for the Mariners while I was playing that video game. So I kind of learned all the names of the players through my video game. And, you know, I'd see them on TV and I was like, hey, I know who that guy is, you know, like in that kind of the familiarity kind of kicked in at that point And it got me more interested. And then I just never went back. I'm looking at Power Pros as we speak. And now it's <laughs> uh, it's it's time for some trivia. Can you name any of the eight uh, little guys that were on the front of MLB Power Pros 2008? You'll be I, I can name most of them. I know right. Francisco Rodriguez is on there. Yep. Um, you got Maglio Ordonez. Correct. Uh David Ortiz, I think, is on there, right? Uh, no. There is a, no. a Red Sox, but not him. Oh, is it, um, shoot, is it Papelbon? Josh Beckett. Beckett. Okay, okay, that makes sense. Uh, Ichiro's probably on there. Uh, Chinming Wong and Takeshi Saito are on there. Oh, wow, those are guys <laughs> I would not have got. I didn't even know uh, this game existed, so you're doing very well, but, but, uh. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's so been the- a few years. Definitely. Gotcha. gotcha. So I thought it was uh, it was more about Jose Lopez going for twenty five dingers that year, but but it sounds like Nintendo. I was a Jose Lopez fan. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Sure. So was it just kind of the the statistical element of baseball that that got you hooked? Yeah, I've always been kind of a math and statistics statistics guy. Yeah. Um, until it got to like geometry, calculus type of stuff in high school, and then I was lost. But you know, stats and all that has always interested me for whatever reason in, in kind of every facet of life. I've always been interested in stats and uh, baseball is filled with that. So it's pretty easy to get hooked on that. Definitely. So we have a, we have a kinship in addition to being from Washington and, and being Scandinavian as we found out before, uh, before this, <laughs> but uh, we have a kinship and that we were both high school baseball um, play-by-play announcers. Uh, I went to, to skyline and I was the voice of the Spartans back then. Um, sure. And, and uh, you were a baseball announcer. Where'd you go to high school? I went to Lake Washington High School, and when I went there, I don't know if this is still the case. When I went there, they didn't have a baseball, they didn't have a play-by-play program. I was the only person I knew who wanted to be a broadcaster. Um, now, now there's a, I know at least one other kid from my school. His name is Lyle, Lyle Goldstein, who spent a summer in the Cape last year. and He's very talented, too, but at the time, I didn't know he was interested in doing it. So I kind of just went out of my way. And started talking to people, and I was like, what can I do? And so I did public address for the women's uh, basketball team and for baseball as well. So, I mean, that was just something I could do that at least got my name out there as, like, a broadcaster, and at least it was some sort of experience that was available for me. Um, that was that was the kind of thing where, like, I came up to the parents who usually did that stuff, and I was like, hey, like, does anyone do this? And they're like, oh, well, usually we do it, but, like, if you want to, go for it, you know? <laughs> Uh, did you display any talent for the, the the role right away, or was it rocky to start? Uh, I mean, it's always rocky to start. <laughs> yeah. With broadcasting, it's never as easy as you think it's going to be. But with baseball, whenever I, when I did my first baseball play-by-play at Hofstra, 
it came more naturally to me than say field hockey or um, lacrosse did obviously, because I've just heard it so many times that you just kind of like, you know what it sounds like. Mm -hmm. And so it's a little bit easier to do that than it is to pick up something completely new, but it still isn't easy because there's a lot of things that they don't tell you that they think about or that they do when they're on the air. There's a lot of little hints and, and tricks that you just never know until you have to do it. Like you never think of how, you know, when the ball's hit, what's the first thing I say? That's not something you think about when you're watching a game or when you're listening to a game. You're just listening and enjoying. You're not thinking about how would I present this in a way that makes sense. So you get to Hofstra, and as the, the articles talked about, you were doing a whole bunch of different stuff, as, as you just mentioned, field hockey, lacrosse, working with the Islanders. Uh, how valuable were those early reps for you? They were definitely valuable, and I've talked to a lot of people who – do broadcasting at IMG here with me. Um, and a lot of them didn't kind of, didn't get that kind of experience. A lot of them had professional announcers at their school who did all their games. And so, you know, a student radio station could be like simulcast and they could uh, run it side by side, but it's not as much pressure in that scenario because you're not the only person getting that broadcast out. And so there's a lot of pressure on Hofstra students because the onus is on us to get the broadcast out of the parents and families of these um, athletes and fans can't listen to the game. Um, so if, you know, if we don't broadcast it, nobody else will. So it's definitely a good environment to be in and that it puts you in that professional environment right away. And especially with the Islanders, I mean, they're very fortunate to have that deal. They've had that deal now for, I believe, at least a half dozen years. They had it before I got there. Wow. And it's really a really fortunate thing they have because you, it, it's literally a professional broadcast. You know, it's, it's a, it's an NHL broadcast. Uh, Hofstra students have to run the whole thing and they do have a, a, a professional play-by-play and color guy, but everything else is done by Hofstra students. So production, um, in-studio updates, sport operating, uh, sideline reporting, all that kind of stuff is done by Hofstra students, which is really cool. That's awesome. So now that you've, you've made it, we can kind of look back a little bit. Uh, any, any particular uh, cringe-worthy moments that you can look back on in that, that, those early days at Hofstra? I mean, I think everybody has stories of failure. Um, I had one baseball broadcast that was so bad. It was my, my third ever baseball broadcast. And it, and I was on play-by-play. It was the first one where I was on play-by-play, like the main play-by-play guy. And my color person hadn't done baseball before either. So we were both kind of flying blind. And I did a lot of research. And he and I like were even on the phone back and forth for like hours before the game, making sure that we knew all of our information and whatnot. And it just was a disaster. Um <laughs> And I had, there was an angry parent that called the radio station and they were so angry that I almost was not able to call baseball ever again at Hofstra because the, the station manager was the one that got this phone call and he's like, we can't be having these phone calls from parents. You know, that's like a really bad look. Um, luckily, you know, the sports director knew me and, and knew that I was working hard and wanted to give me another shot. Otherwise I wouldn't have had another opportunity to, to do baseball. Um, but you know, everybody has those moments where like something doesn't work out for you or you have a really bad broadcast, you have a really bad day. Um, you know, you, you drop the ball one place or another, but you just got to learn and pick it up and do better the next time. So I kind of liken it when I'm thinking about everything that you're talking and that process of there's so much that you don't even know that you don't know, if that makes sense. And so I used to teach and it was very similar in those early days of just like, you kind of get your butt handed to you and you don't even really know where to start and how you want to get better. So one right. thing one thing that was instrumental for me was just focusing on like one thing to get better on each week. If I can just be 
you know, just more confident in how I start classes. That will that will do well for me. Is it kind of a similar thing with with broadcasting and, and that whole sphere when there's just there's a ton to learn, but how do you how do you narrow down on just the one specific thing to get better? Oh, 100 percent. I love that you said that, because that's one thing that Aaron Goldsmith always says is when you are doing a broadcast, especially when you're doing a whole season, a whole summer, you're doing like in summer ball, you're doing 60, 70 games. Mm-hmm. And each game, you know, at some point, once you get into like mid July, you just feel the slog and you're, you just kind of at some point, I, I didn't know what to get better at just because I just kept doing games and it was getting hard for me to critique myself. Um, and one thing he always said is, you know, every broadcast focus on one thing. So maybe on Monday you say, okay, during this broadcast, I'm going to primarily focus on saying the score as much as possible. The next game I'm going to focus entirely on description. How can I describe a play? Is it a ground ball or is it a bouncing ball? Is it a two hopper? Is it a line drive or is it like smoked into left field? You know, just different descriptors. The third game you might talk about, you know, making sure you're identifying all the players correctly, making sure you're on top of who's on the bases at all times, stuff like that. And if you just take it one step at a time, rather than taking all those elements and trying to do it each game, it's just going to drive you crazy. and You're not going to be thinking of everything. You're going to forget things or you're, you're just going to be too scrambled. So it's, it's it's absolutely something you have to think about day by day is what's one thing I can get better on today. All right, we're going to take a break to do the first ad read in Boyd Meets World History. Listeners, if you're like me, you're washed up. You just can't hang like you used to. And when you do try to hang, your next day is totally shot. Well, it would be if you didn't drink a Loco cold brew the morning after. Loco is made with the two things you need the most after tying one on. Coconut water for replenishing electrolytes and cold brew coffee for the caffeine. That's it, as there are no other added ingredients in Loco. One 12-ounce can has as much potassium as a banana and more than two cups of coffee worth of caffeine to get your day going. Loco has a unique flavor that I love and can salvage any hangover Sunday. Thursday, search for Loco Coffee on Amazon, or you can head to drinklococoffee.com and sign up for their newsletter to get 20% off your first order. One more time, that's drinklococoffee.com. So that was one of the things that I wanted to ask you about is that relationship with with Aaron Goldsmith, because that came up in the story as well. How did you meet Goldie and what role has he played for you? Yeah, I mean, and he's a very, very friendly guy. I've had a lot of people my age say they reached out to him and that he's been a great uh, help. So I know that he's not just helping me. He's helping a lot of guys out there. Um, So if you're someone who wants to be a broadcaster, you know, he's definitely the the kind of person who's going to take the time to, to try to help you. Um, but I just emailed him one day cause I just wanted to get some outside advice and I didn't think he would ever answer my email because you think about someone like that and you're like, Oh, I'm sure they've got a million things to do and they're not going to listen to some college kid and what, what, you know, he wants some advice. Um, but I sent him an email. I think it was prior to 2016, the season. It was like in January of 16 and he gets back to me in March, like during spring spring. <laughs> Hey, I just got here to spring training. Just saw your email, you know. Um, he's like, yeah, sure. I'd love to meet up with you. Um, I live in the Seattle area, as you know. So, like, if you want to meet up for a cup of coffee or something, when you get back in town, that'd be awesome. And I was, like, thrilled. I was like, oh, yeah, sure. Like, you know, that, that sounds great. And so I think it was around July when we finally got to meet up. Um, and we just met up at a, lo- a local coffee place. And he took, like, four hours out of his day to just sit there and talk wow. to me one-on-one. He, he listened to my tape. He gave me very detailed uh, critiques on my tape, exactly what I could do better. And he, he was the one that really kind of talked me into the idea of play-by-play and, and how much it means to someone. 
um, and, and, and why it's an important job. Um, cause at the time I was kind of bouncing between a bunch of things, but he, he was pretty instrumental afterwards too. I haven't talked to him in person since then, but I've, I've texted back and forth with him occasionally. He, um, he's the one that encouraged me to do summer ball. Um, I haven't talked to him in a few months now, but he, he, it was great that he was just kind of there to kind of kickstart my journey, you know? And, and in that time, I've talked to a bunch of other Mariner broadcasters. Uh, I've talked to Dave Sims. I talked to him in middle school, actually. I don't know if he remembers that because I was just this little, like seventh grader, eighth grader at the time. Was he wearing a hat? Uh, oh yeah, always. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I met, uh, Ryan Roland Smith recently. I've talked to Brad Adam. I mean, they're all, they're all great people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, that's, that's, uh, quite the, so you had some inspiration to do it. You've, you've obviously felt this way for a while. You have, you have this passion, but it's still, you know, it's, it's not uncommon, right? There's a lot of people who, who think that everyone kind of is, is aiming at that. So you go to the winter meetings last year or a month or a month ago, uh, to, to go take things into your own, own hands and get a job. So what was, what exactly was your plan going to Vegas, uh, a month ago? Yeah, that's something that I thought about doing for a little bit. I, I've talked to a few friends who wanted to get into the minor leagues, and they said that going to Vegas, or not just going to Vegas, going to the winter meetings mm-hmm. is something that you can really do to improve yourself and improve your ability to get a job. Um, and really, it's a great place to make connections. So going in there, I, I wasn't expecting to get a job out of it because most people don't get job offers at the winter meetings. It's mostly about the connections you make at the meetings and then – usually things go forward afterwards, like it, like it did for me where I got the offer a couple of weeks ago, um, even though I met the person at the meetings. But I, I went with a couple of friends of mine, so we all planned on going together because we all wanted to do the same thing. Um, and so my plan going in was just to try to make as many connections as I can, beef up my resume as much as I could. So this last summer I did as much as possible with the Elks. You know, I took on more of a role in media relations, making game notes and press releases and uh, doing mo- more social media stuff, just making my resume as attractive as possible, just because I knew that this was a situation where I wanted to get into the minor leagues, wanted to be able to do this. Um, and you really have to think ahead when you're doing this, because you can't just think, oh, someday I'll call baseball, you know, someday I'll be doing this. You just got to do it, because right. then someday it won't come if you don't just make it now. Um, so I, I just try to be as prepared as possible when it came to making sure all my materials were put together and that I was going to the meetings for the right reasons, because if you go to the meetings and don't plan on talking to people, in, in my opinion, it's kind of a waste of time um, because the main reason to go there is for the, is for talking to people. I'm not saying the meetings are a waste of time. I'm saying that your presence there is a waste of time for yourself. Sure. you got to take advantage of your presence there. So kind of in a, a this is just a, a good case study in, in networking. How did you, you kind of touched, touched on this a little bit, but how specifically did you differentiate yourself between the, I don't know, how many people were trying to do the exact same thing you were? Yeah, and that's definitely a good question. And and the best thing that I can say to that is to just be someone who is as well-rounded as possible. Because in the minor leagues, you're going to be asked to do so many different things. It's not just broadcasting. you got to be able to be a good writer. You have to be someone who can design, uh, graphic design things, even very basic elements. You know, if you have like a very basic understanding of Photoshop, that goes a long way. The kind of person who can edit an audio a clip like obviously you with making this podcast is a, is a prime example of that if you can use audition audacity that kind of stuff if you can do video editing of any kind um it's just all the elements that you can bring to the table as well as just through your experiences 
Um, so for me, it was unique to me that I was, you know, from Seattle, went to school in New York, now living in North Carolina. People can see that I'm willing to travel and that I'm willing to go and do whatever it takes to get a job. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not like confined to one region, which is a problem that a lot of people have in this industry is they aren't willing to expand their horizons in terms of going outside of where they are. Um, but also just being at IMG because there's a lot of minor league broadcasters at IMG who do what I do there. Um, and so a lot of people were like, Oh, you work at IMG. I know someone who works there and they're in the minor leagues. And so that often opens up a conversation. And with the job that I have now, it, it did open up a conversation because he saw my, on my business card that I work at IMG and he knew some people there. Sure. Uh, so who are your broadcast idols when you, when you look forward now to, to hopefully a long career uh, and you look, to, to the people that you admire, Goldsmith included, um, you know, what, what do you aspire to be and whose, whose voice do you hear when you're trying to, to project yourself going forward? Yeah, I love the guys who don't take themselves too seriously, but are smart enough to know when to use statistics and when to not, because I think there's definitely a new age in baseball and in oh, yeah. sports in general, and also in broadcasting. People want someone who is fun uh, who's loose, who doesn't take things too seriously, but who um, knows the game and, and knows what they're talking about. So you talk about a guy like Adam Amin is a good example. I mean, he doesn't do as much baseball, but, you know, with basketball and all that he does. Uh, Jason Benetti is a prime example of that, a guy who's really made himself well-rounded as a guy who knows statistics. I mean, everybody's going to talk about, you know, the Al Michaels and all those kinds of people that are kind of the legends of, of sports broadcasting um, and the Mike Tirico's and the Bob Costas's and who have you, but um, I look to the guys that are kind of on the rise now because they're going to be the faces of this business going forward. Um, and they're the ones that, you know, ultimately you're going to be competing and get jobs down the line. Um, and so you got to be able to do what they are doing. You got to be able to be the kind of person who knows how to laugh at yourself on air, but at the same <laughs> time explain all these statistics and what they mean while at the same time making them relatable that, you know, you don't tune the listener out. Um, it's a very hard job and it's a fine balance that I think a lot of broadcasters are kind of learning how to deal with myself included. I mean, I'm a big, I'm a big stats guy, big sabermetrics guy, but I know that most of those things are not going to be appropriate for air just because most people don't understand that. And you don't want to spend half of the broadcast explaining a statistic to someone just to get across the point. Sure. Uh, in the story, your, your ability to, to fill dead air is, is touted. Um, I forget who said it, a coworker or something, but uh, that, that's kind of the the old thing that they always used to say about Vince Scully is that his stories kind of have these these perfect breaks in them that go right with the action somehow. Uh, how do you you talk about getting better at one specific thing? Worrying about that is that would you categorize that in the the gift category or the learned skill category? That's a good question. I think it's more of a learned skill, but you have to be the kind of person who's comfortable just talking. Mm-hmm. I've never. Had- talking but whenever when I first started with the Elks I had never done a solo broadcast in my life of any sport and you know not even to mention the fact that I haven't done seven games in seven days for one team before I'd never even done back-to-back games for one team before um and so it was a totally like like just punch to the face experience sitting in that booth alone for three hours with yourself on a baseball game, which is the hardest thing to fill time on because you could fill time on basketball just because there's so much action. Sure. It's not hard to, but on baseball, it's just, you know, there's so many lulls in the action that it is definitely something you have to kind of figure out how to do. And it's, it's definitely something that I would say is more learned than anything when it comes to that, because for the first week or so, I was very bland, very boring, very just 
let's get through this broadcast alive type of <laughs> personality about it. But, you know, at some point you kind of figure out a system in your head, which is when this is happening, here are some things I can say to fill the time. Um, you kind of learn patterns. And at some point it stops being something you pay attention to. Your brain just fires the next thing. Um, and you just got to, at some point you also got to go comfortable with dead air. Because there That's is right. definitely, silence is a tool. And you got to learn how to be able to use that as well. But I think that for the most part, it is kind of learned in terms of killing dead air and making sure you're filling that space with something useful. Uh, so I'm very happy to, to hear this this story and, and have uh, quickly become a big fan of yours. But does this all mean oh, that you. there's going to be no more lookout landing spots for you? <laughs> uh, as of right now, I will probably be staying with lookout landing, um, but that is not 100%. Um, it's just kind of, you know, something I'm going to figure out in terms of what kind of time I have, because obviously broadcasting is going to be a big commitment for the, for the foreseeable future, for the next couple of months at the very least, I'll be sticking around with the website. I love writing there. It's been a great place and it's been a great place for me to make connections. Um, but right now it's just business as usual. Um, no plans imminently to leave the blog. Good to hear. Uh, Quickly, before we get out of here, uh, give us your take on the on the Mariners of the season, what to expect, and uh, are you on board for the reimagination? I am, and I was on board the last couple of years. I thought it was something that kind of needed to be done. It's obviously sad to see a lot of guys get shipped out of town. My girlfriend, um, her favorite player is James Paxton. She's from oh, D.C., um, but I got, I got her kind of into the Mariners, and James Paxton was like her guy. And she was really, she was more upset than I was when he was traded and she threatened to become a Yankees fan. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I understand a lot of people out there who feel for those, you know, who, who miss a lot of those players who are gone. You know, Nelson Cruz obviously is a, a big fan favorite. He's no longer a Mariner. Edwin Diaz and Robbie Cano, those are guys who I think a lot of fans kind of gravitated for. Um, but I think it is definitely time to turn the page with this team and for DePoto to really form his own um, his own roster. And it, it has kind of, for the most part, been his roster, but the structuring around it has not been his because of the contracts that he was tied down by. Um, so for the core of the team to become his own, I think it's really important for them to see what he can do as a general manager. So I'm excited to see what this team can do. I'm not expecting them to be anything more than maybe an 80-win team. And even that's probably a little bit, you know, too optimistic. But I, I'm excited to see what the prospects do down the farm, especially I know a couple of the teams down there are going to be loaded. So it'll be fun to keep track of those guys. Yeah. It'll be the first year in a while. We're looking at a uh, minor league box scores pretty intently. Um, so that's, that's uh, I've, been, I've been there for the last like five years, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's been a less, less fruitful of an endeavor than, uh, than it will probably be this year though. So um, that's all good. Good luck this season, man. Happy for you. Uh, tell people and tell me how you can, how we can hear you. Is there any kind of streaming out there for, for catching the Hillcats? Yeah, so the Hillcats have got an online broadcast feed. You can go to their website uh, during game times, and you'll be able to find a link to their uh, broadcast. And I'll be on all home games and uh, some select road games as well, so you'll be able to hear me there. Um, I'm on Twitter, at Anders Jorstad. Very easy, very simple. Um, and, yeah, it's been great to be on here, man. Yeah, thanks a lot for doing this. And, uh, as I said, best of luck. Thank you, man. That was Anders Jorstad of the Lynchburg Hillcats. Great guy and someone we will hear from again, I'm sure. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Peace.